Leonard here, and I know we all have a couple daily lists. You know what they are. The have-to-do list and the choose-to-do list. To make my daily choose-to-do list, you have to be special. And Papa's Roast Coffee is truly that special. That's why Papa's Roast Coffee is a regular choice of mine and so many others. Papa's Roast owners, Dean and Debbie Chris, take special care to provide a perfect roast on every bean. Sourced from a single origin, the coffee beans are roasted to perfection in small batches, and then, if that were not enough, the beans are packaged and shipped in an eco-friendly bag. Papa's Roast Coffee, from start to finish, has earned a place on my everyday choose-to-do list, and I think they will on yours too. Get your Papa's Roast Coffee at papasroast.com today. Now, to our conversation. Welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and we have a returning guest today. And I just want to say how excited I am because last time he was here, I learned a ton of things uh, and just enjoyed the conversation so much. Uh, my guest is uh, uh, Dan Biddle, Dr. Dan Biddle, and he is uh, he is a evidence specialist and he understands how to find the evidence for um for whatever topic I think you put in front of him, but he is, uh, he's, he's an amazing thinker and he has turned his energy to creation and the creation story and to the biblical account of creation. God has put him in that lane and it has benefited the entire body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And so Dan, welcome today. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. This is show number two, and hopefully we'll do show number three in another few months. <laughs> oh, I look forward to that. You are always, always welcome here. Is there anything you want to tell us really quick about your ministry before I jump into a bunch of questions? You know, the biggest thing I could tell your listeners would be to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're putting new content out there all the time. Uh, we're going to be putting out a video in a couple of weeks. It's going to take down and destroy the leading video in the history of the world that promotes evolution. It's called Signs of Evolution in Your Body, mm. has 37 million views, and we're going to absolutely deconstruct that video and show that God is a designer and creator of our bodies and not evolution. Mm, I love it. And, and you have an app too, don't you? We do. Uh, Genesis Apologetics is our mobile app. You can download it for your uh, for through Google Play or the Apple iTunes Store. It's a free app, and it will absolutely link into all of our YouTube videos as well. So, for, for example, the last one I just mentioned, the signs of evolution in your body. If you go to the human evolution part of our app, you'll see that video loaded up just as soon as we put it on YouTube. Oh, excellent. So I'm going to say uh, download the app. I've got it on my phone and it is a great resource as I am just absorbing and learning and building my own confidence in the story that God has told us. So Dan, here's my first question for you. Um, uh, before the show started, we were talking about how foundational Genesis is to uh, all followers of Jesus and to the world, really. Um, in our understanding. And uh, can you give me just from your insight, from your experience, what makes Genesis and the creation story so important to the everyday follower of Jesus? You know, I think the first way of answering that is just to challenge your, your listeners to say, who is your authority? And Jesus referred back to the Old Testament 42 times. He referred to Genesis several times. He talked about male and female being created at the beginning of creation, not millions of years after creation, but at creation. And so it really comes down to an issue of authority. So who is our authority is going to be in? So we don't have a rerun of Jesus being resurrected from the grave. We don't have a rerun of Lazarus or the parting of the Red Sea. But how do we believe that those things happen? Well, we believe them because they're in the Bible. So why is it that we only have controversy, typically, when we get back to the early chapters of Genesis, people freeze it and put on the brakes and say, well, no, God couldn't have created it in six days because of science or because of the Big Bang or because of millions of years or whatever it is. So it really comes down to an issue of an authority. And if people want to have um, good fruit as a Christian, it's essential that they have good roots 
because good fruit comes from good root. It doesn't come from the twigs or the branches or anything else. The roots are the most essential part of the tree. And if you don't have roots that go all the way back down deep to the beginning of Genesis, we have a structural problem with how to build one's faith. So um, Genesis is not a metaphor. We get from the book of Genesis the idea of gender, marriage, or why we need to have clothes, why there's a fallen world, and the promise of a Savior in Genesis chapter 3. So it's fundamental to our faith, and I get Christians all the time to say, oh, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, or all you need to do is preach Jesus. And I challenge people who say that, and I say, well, can you please explain to me the gospel, but don't quote Genesis? And an honest person can't do it. And I respect that they can't do it because it's foundational and it's fundamental to our Christian faith. Absolutely. I love that. I, uh, we always tell people that the first two ways God introduced himself to humanity is that he is a creator. And the second is that he's a redeemer. You know, and so mm-hmm. you, you referred to Genesis 3. He said, I'm God and I redeem things. The woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. Uh, and yeah. and and his, the Bible starts off with, uh, "Hello, my name. I'm God, and I make stuff." Uh, yeah, you know, so good. And those two themes literally run congruent throughout Scripture. Uh, in fact, the Book of Revelation in chapter four and five, heaven is declaring the worthiness of God on those two identities. You know, in chapter four, you created everything. That's why you're worthy of our praise. And in chapter five. You are worthy, and so we shout, worthy, 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 because you purchase men for God with your blood. And so I love that you cannot have good fruit without good roots. Um, mm. And so that is that's that's wonderful to hear from you. Um, Genesis is foundational, and so you give us <clears throat> uh, determining our authority, uh, good fruit, good roots. It's this whole picture. Um uh, you got any other insights on why it is just so foundational for us to understand? Uh, what do we learn about God in the story of creation? You know, I think what's what's powerful for, for me um, is that we learn that we can trust God at his word, because there's only one part of scripture that God wrote with his own hand. He didn't delegate it uh, through man, as Second Peter one and Second Timothy three talks about, about how God channeled inspired scripture through man. There's one section of scripture that God said, "This is so important, I'm going to etch it myself in mm. stone," <laughs> and He puts in there the fourth commandment for it. For in six days I created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and so He was communicating with the Israelites the cycle of how to live our lives. He said, look, I'm the almighty creator one, and I can create the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them in six earth rotation days. And that's what he told the Israelites to model their lives after. You know, it was it was six days. It wasn't six minutes or six months or six hours uh, or, or, or six seconds, which God could have done. He gave us the interval of six days. So he's, as a commander and as a creator, he's ushering into us a cycle and a rhythm for living our lives that, that we can work six and then rest for one. You know, I, I, I was at um, the, the, the mining museum in, um, in California here, and they had an open diary there of John Sutter, the guy that helped mm-hmm. discover gold in California, Coloma. And he's writing the page. It happened to be open. He says, you know, I'm, I'm watching all these miners work around me seven days a week. They're working 12 hour days and no one's taking a break. No one's going to a church. They're working seven days a week, week after week after week. And they're all dying by age 35, hmm. you know? And so the, the, the maker of everything tells us that I could have chosen to create over six seconds or, or six months or six weeks, but I didn't. I chose six days because the people I put in charge to have dominion over this earth, I want to follow that same rhythm. So for me, it's really a, a matter of, of trust to know that the, the very God who spoke creation into existence is one that I can trust for the very cycle and rhythm of living my life. Wow. That's so, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that is the first time I've ever heard it explained that way. And I love that. Uh, we can trust God even in just the carefulness of his design 
um, I was just in Cuba and I asked the question of pastors. I said, tell me one thing God made that God needed. And they thought for a while and they thought and they thought, and they said, we can't think of anything. I said, I know that's what the creation story reveals to us, that God is extreme in his friendship towards us. Amen, Leonard. God, God even had the idea of creation. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty profound. I just heard that at church on Sunday that it was God's idea to create, his, his intentionality to create and to unfold everything and to put Adam and Eve as the capstone, the ones who took dominion over everything and named all the animals. Mm. So that was his idea. It was the figment of his imagination to do that. Mm. Man, I... Uh... It's it's pretty awe-inspiring. Uh, this question was not on my list, but I'd sure love to hear your take on it. So God makes everything. He speaks it, and then he gets involved physically with creation with Adam and Eve, and he forms out of the dust. He breathes into their nostrils, and then he creates space for them, uh, and he says, within this space, you're going to be my partner. You're going to work mm. the soil. You're going to name the animals. And and we say the whole foundation of Christianity is to be a friend with God and to be a partner with God. It's the whole idea of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's friendship and that's partnership. Right. Uh, and so as we come back to that, uh, I'm always asked this question, why did God put those pesky trees in the middle of the garden? Uh, <laughs> well, he put two there, and I think ultimately the the simple but most profound answer to that, Leonard, is that you can't have love without free will and choice. Mm. And, and I think the Lord set those things up for us because he didn't want to be loved by robotics. Right. You know, he wanted to be have a relationship with people. And so in order to do that, he has to put an a la carte menu out there. So you guys can choose. You can choose me. You can choose the tree of life or you can choose the other tree. You know, and if you choose the other tree, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. And we're still reeling from those consequences today. We have death, sin, suffering, bloodshed, all that stuff because of the, the sins of our of our forefathers. But ultimately, you can't have love unless you give someone free will and free choice. Mm. And I, I thank God that, that, uh, that he, that he knows that. And he put that into creation at the very beginning. Yeah. He put, it's, it's interesting because before he put the tree, he also, he actually put the rescue story, you know, before the foundation of the world, the, the lamb was slain. Uh, and so it's, he built it even knowing that uh, we can't handle the heat in the kitchen. Um, you know, Leonard, and, and that's why I think the two for me, uh, it's hard to pick, but I think two of the most profound chapters in the Bible for me are Genesis 1 and John 1, mm -hmm. because of how they put together. And the, the uh, guy named Dave Bisbee is a VP of our ministry, and it's just, Dan, what hit it for him on the creation front was he said, I finally realized that Jesus had the right to redeem the world because he created it. And without him being the creator, he can't be the redeemer, can't be the redeemer unless he was the creator. And you look at John 1 and the overlap of Genesis 1 and how the in the beginning was the word, the logos, was there present with creation. It's a it's an amazing story, and it's all complete with Jesus fulfilling all of that. Yeah, that is such a, a such a good thought for um, people listening. Um, there's no there's no story that takes a beating in the Bible more than the creation story, and maybe second is the flood. Um, mm. People are beating on those because, uh, I and I, I let me get your take on why you think that is. So I, um, it's funny you should ask that because just this morning I was pondering that out of the blue. I don't think anything prompted. I just started thinking through that. And for me, it is a, I got an ironclad answer for you on, on two fronts and Hopefully this just satisfies your curiosity because it was something was really getting me this morning. But the first thing is, let's just start on the flip side and ask the answer, ask the question, what is the enemy doing in our society today? Well, he's attacking Genesis fundamentally. He's attacking God as a creator, you know, the anti-God and atheism, it's 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 exploding all over the world, and he's attacking everything in Genesis. The Redeemer, gender, the covenant of marriage, everything is front and center. So if we want to get a read on what's happening today, 
just look for a minute at the offense of our enemy. And we know he's coming after it hard. So that's got to cue it up as to why is it so important to the enemy to try to take down Genesis 1 to 11. But then the second thing I thought about is if we were to go through the annals of history and go back 2,000 years and start flipping through New Testament document after document and go back 1,000 years ago and 1,500 years ago and go back even 1,800 years ago, we could find firsthand copies of the document 2 Peter 3, the book of 2 Peter. And we could establish for over that that book was written over 2,000 years ago. And for some reason, the writer in that chapter says, above everything else, know this. And that's like, wow, he wrote, he wrote a lot of things. And now he's writing and saying, above everything else, know this, that in the last days, which obviously we're living in, scoffers will come scoffing, saying, where is the second coming that Jesus promised? For ever since mm-hmm. the beginning, all things have continued like they always have. And then he says, but a big comma. And he says, but they forget that that God created out of water everything. He spoke it into existence, and by those same waters, he destroyed the world. And then he says that they're going to be willingly ignorant, that they're going to teach the opposite of these two things. And I could get on my bike and ride down to my my local junior college and rifle through their library and show you every single book in the natural sciences. Literally every single one attacks those two things. Yeah. Creation out of nothing and the flood. Every book on geology uh, attacks the flood. Every book on biology undermines creation, and they they exchange creation for natural selection. They and they and they deify it. Say natural selection invented or changed or adapted or brainstormed or or shuffled the genome and came up with something new. But for me, Leonard, it really comes down to those two things: is what is the enemy doing? Well, he's attacking Genesis, and then what did the New Testament writers prophesy? Well, they prophesied that in the end days. Two things are going to come under attack, the creation ex nihilo or the creation out of nothing and the flood. And it's everywhere around us. It's it's upon us. The prophetic of those two things in Second Peter 3 is right now in our faces all over the world. Boy, that is uh, that's that's great insight. I <clears throat> I love um, I love that uh, when when Peter writes those words, um that warning, that exhortation, uh, know this, be certain of this. And we're yeah. living in those days now. Um, you know, we, we, we read, uh, as it was in the days of Noah, uh, wow. so it will be in the end. And we're seeing, you know, every inclination of the heart was to do evil in the days of Noah. We're not quite there yet. We know a lot of people who that's not every inclination of their heart. Um, yeah. but we're getting, getting we're getting closer and closer. Um, when we talk about uh, our our um, in our ministry, we train people how to read and understand their Bibles. And the first uh, the first thing we tell them is that God identifies uh, as the Creator, and then the Redeemer. And then we tell them that these trees are in the garden, um, and we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So don't be surprised if good and evil are confused in our culture. Because uh, we weren't meant to handle that knowledge, and we literally live in the fruit of that of that meal. Um, our That's eyes were open. That's a great, great insight, and it breeds legalism and love by obedience for some people, like a conditional performance thing, and then it leads to a, grace as a license for sin for for others. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of extremes on that platter that you just talked about. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's that part of that's, that's part of the damage. And one of the one of the reasons that that we we try to encourage people to understand is that um, we bear the image of God, but we're not like God in the sense that we're not Him. And and one of the reasons I believe that God set that tree, those trees in the in the center of the garden, um, was to say, um, "You're not like me. I have no restrictions. You do." Uh, and oh. it was evidence of his own love and glory so that he could look and say, you're going to get out of line if you try to be me. And what was Satan saying? God's worried you're going to be like him. 
you know, and very good. there's an unpacking very, very good. there theologically that points us, uh, points us to come back and say, I am not like God. My ways are not his ways or his ways are not my ways. They're not even in the same neighborhood. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Great point, Leonard. Very good. Yeah. And so um, in, in, uh, in this process, um, are there any new attacks coming? I mean, are we really just seeing the regurgitation and the adaptation of of what started with Darwinian thought and other thoughts, or are we seeing anything new uh, coming our way as an attack on the the creation story, the flood story, the 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 identity of God as Creator? You know, we are seeing some percolations even within our community of creation ministries mm -hmm. where there's a new branch uh, that's beginning called a young earth evolutionist or young mm -hmm. earth hyper evolutionists so there are some even from within the community of our camps here that are adopting various tangents of evolution and trying to cram it into the creation account where it really doesn't fit either scripturally or scientifically so, um, but I, I, that, that's, uh, that's kind of a splintering kind of thing. What, but my biggest concern is that I don't even see Christians today wanting to learn about the ABCs of creation and, and, and most teenagers today, when they get saved, um, unless they go to a, a Bible teaching church that has an emphasis on discipleship, Leonard, it's usually several years before they even go back and revisit what happened to them in biology class in high school. Yeah. So we're trying to focus there, but yeah, there are some new spins uh, happening and we just, um, we just blossom where we're, where we're planted and our ministry goes out to a lot of people. But I think my, our biggest concern is just getting people with the ABCs rather than the LMNOPs. Yeah. Yeah. How is that young earth uh, hyper evolutionism different than theistic evolution, which was the new thing in the seventies? Yes. Yeah. You know, theistic evolution is is what uh, sadly most Christians will graduate from high school believing nowadays. That's the predominant view within Christendom is that God somehow used evolution, which is, of course, puts puts uh, death and suffering before sin, which is a theological uh, challenge because it really maligns the character of God. Um, but some of the, the hyper evolution thing has to do with a lot of controversy about where the flood boundary is, where Noah's flood zenith or where it, the very top of it was and how we deal with some of the mammal fossils. And could you have a four-legged creature get off the ark and turn back into a whale within a short time period if it was a whale beforehand? So just some twists that are going on that way. And even some ideas about multiple species of humans which is a huge problem. Yeah. Thinking of the Neanderthals were a different species. Well, they weren't. They bred with humans, and we've got DNA that shows that they that they interbred with humans. They were just like a, a you know, a, a group of people that were big, blocky, sturdy individuals, but they were buried with humans and made families with humans and grave sites with humans and everything. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, but like I say, I think that the biggest warfare we have right now is just the Christian's, that are so indoctrinated with the classical secular idea of evolution that when they get saved, they don't circle back and rethink and you know, unlearn what they were propagandized into and yeah. relearn the creation account because uh, that didn't happen to me till 10 years ago. And from right. when, I, when I had the epiphany, it was like being born again, again. It was a connection between my heart and my mind that had been disconnected, like you have a spinal vertebrae out of line for years. And you go see a chiropractor and he snaps it back in place. You're like, oh, that's what my neck's supposed to feel like. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and when that, using that illustration, uh, then your leg quits hurting and your elbow quits hurting and you don't have headaches. And putting yes. it in line takes care of a whole lot of other maladies that your body yeah. has. It's a great analogy when it comes to the to the creation count because if if people believe in theistic evolution, it's 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 a pretty terrifying thing. Like I just sat with a group of teenagers the other day, and I said, "I'm not going to show you this video, but I'm just going to show you the thumbnail of this video." And the thumbnail of the YouTube video says, "Komodo dragon eats deer alive," 
you know, and I and I showed him maybe a couple seconds of the video. I'm like, I'm not gonna show you the whole thing. It's it's pretty horrible. You know, this deer sitting there screaming as it's getting eaten alive by these big Komodo dragons. And then I challenged him and says, Why is that wrong to you? Why is there something in your in your heart and your mind that just twinges at the few seconds I showed you that video? I'm like, well, because you have to answer the question, whose fault is that? And people have been conditioned nowadays to think, well, that's just a circle of life. That's normal. That's mother nature. Well, you know what? It's not. Right. That is the result of Adam and Eve's bringing sin and death and suffering and bloodshed into the world. Genesis 1 says God commanded the animals, both the animals and the humans, and said, only eat green things. Fruits, vegetables, and herbs, I put those here for you for food. And then when sin came into the world and death through sin, like Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, that's when all of the things turn backwards in, in nature. So we should feel a pinge when we see some hor horrible thing like that happening or, or a bear eating a newborn deer as soon as it's born and all those things. That's not what the garden was supposed to be like. That was our fault. Yes. <laughs> we messed it up. So it's uh, people need to realize. And when you have that epiphany, like, okay, while well, the good God did create everything and he called it very good. And it was humans that brought on death, suffering, bloodshed, and cancer, because a lot of people have lost loved ones to cancer. Mm -hmm. And now, and if with being a theistic evolutionist, you just have to blame God and think, well, why did you create a world with all that horrible stuff? Right. But as a creationist, I look at that and say, well, why did we screw up the world that God created initially perfect? Right. So my theology shifts. And that's a huge epiphany that people need to understand that it's a, it's dealing with God's character and it's dealing with God's word with his authority about when he created, when he said he created. You just grab Luke chapter three, there's only 6,000 years of history there and it's right in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. And it's repeated in Genesis five and 10. So when people go through that epiphany, that realization, it changes the way they see the world. It changes the way they see different people groups. And it changes the way that they see God. Mm, man, I there is a the the Romans two four says, "Do not think lightly of the goodness or the kindness of God, because it is His goodness and kindness that draws us to repentance." Um, to erase the the creation story from the human uh, understanding of God, it, it removes the kindness of God, mm. and it makes it, it. Who do I repent to? Uh, and, and can I trust this God, as you said, has the order mixed up, that there's death before sin, that there's suffering, uh, you know, a good God put in motion a, a good thing that he said, this is really good. Yeah. Um, and the the evolution story erases our understanding of the goodness and the kindness of God um, in such a so good. Yeah, and, and Leonard also, it, it removes the reason that you even need a savior in the first place. It does. Because all these, these 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 new, a lot of new believers walking around saying, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, I just, I challenge them saying, are you saying that Jesus died for the sins of a mythical Adam? You know, because the evolution story is that, you know, some some Christians believe that God just plucked one Neanderthal or homo, homo sapien-like creature out of a population of, say, 10,000 and said, I think I'll breathe my spirit into, I don't know, maybe this guy, you yeah. know, and made him Adam. And so that Adam was only in existence because he out-suffered and out-murdered all the other competing hominid groups to eventually turn into Adam. Yeah, And that's a terrible thing to put on God, uh, you know? <laughs> it seems to require so much more faith as well to... <clears throat> to try and make all these mental gymnastics, the rather than God said something, why not just trust what He said? Yes. And uh, we we have this thing where we teach people that there are five basic questions that live in the heart of every human being, and the first question is where do I come from? You know, and then you run through, and it's what's wrong with me? How do we fix it? Uh, what are the values by which I live, and what happens when I die? And that's the sequence of your Bible when God answers those five questions. It's also the same five questions every religion is trying to answer. Um, and in the question, I was with a guy and he said, you know, I love those five questions, but I can only accept the answers for four. 
Uh, and I said, I, I said, you probably can't accept the answers for creation, can you? And he said, I can't. I said, so what you're telling me is that you trust God to rescue you from sin. You trust God to uh, teach you to navigate. You trust God to answer the question for your brokenness personally in the world and with people. And you trust God for your eternity, but you can't trust God who said, I made you. That's a sad thing. And how incomplete is one's faith if you don't get your beginning straight? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it's that Jesus said, whoever hears my words is building our life and does them. It's they're building a foundation that cannot be shaken. Yes. And he also said, you know, if he talked about an unbelieving generation that doesn't even believe in Moses's teaching, how are you going to, if you didn't believe Moses, how are you going to believe me? He says, <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. So yeah. um, when you are thinking through, um, and then last time you were here, you talked about how uh, the the flood, the dinosaurs, all that stuff, when you had your born again, again experience, um, that was at the center. That was the pivot point for you in understanding, um, wow, this is, this is, this is so powerful and important, crucial to who we are as followers of Jesus. Um, and so what I'd love for you to do is just give a, a, a brief description of how you have responded in sense of uh, what is it that, that your ministry does. And then I really want you to talk to us about the Noah movie coming up. Great. So the, the focus of our ministry is, is, is that there's a lot of great brick-and-mortar ministries out there that also have an online presence. I mean, we love Answers in Genesis. Go out there and see the full-size arc. That's where we filmed our, our, our soon-coming Noah's Flood movie. Uh, CMI's got a great ministry. They're international. ICR's got a great ministry. There's several different creation ministries that are doing a good job, but I think that the niche that the Lord raised up our ministry to do is specifically to bring answers to to teenagers, starting with teenagers on on up on uh, on their mobile devices. So we mm -hmm. we have our emphasis is really going after YouTube. We have over 13 million views now, and about 135,000 subscribers, and about 100,000 views every month. And that's what our emphasis is: is to reach people wide internationally with short, compelling videos that that attach evidence to the creation account. And I would even say that our emphasis is not to try to flip. Um, skeptics, because right. that's the Holy Spirit's job. We're more about trying to equip believers to get them to trust that their Bible is real and to and help embody their and, and deepen their faith. So that's really the the niche of our ministry is to go after um, YouTube and put things on mobile apps that are short, you know, five to fifteen minute mm -hmm. videos that are going to help deepen the roots of people who are already Christians. Um, and that's where we hit with our our, our movie. The the Lord gave me a special. Um, I, I guess assignment, I, I would be so bold as to say it was an assignment about seven years ago. I just got really strong conviction of my spirit after going after Noah's flood because it was so instrumental in converting my faith to uh, a young earth perspective and believing that Genesis is a true history account. And so I took a lot of those evidences that really flipped me like, you know, why do we have 16 different types of bioorganic materials? materials that we're finding in dinosaur bones today and how do we have 14 states of dead dinosaurs in the middle of america you know those things really convinced me of the historicity of noah's flood so we're working with sevenfold films they're the ministry that did uh, a movie called genesis paradise lost mm -hmm. it's the number i think the number 10 on on amazon faith films right now and number 34 of documentaries in the world uh, which is great it's been out for five years millions of views and uh, we're working with that group to develop the Noah's Flood film. It's called, it's called The Ark in the Darkness. Mm. Uh, people can sign up for updates there. Just go to noahsflood.com. That's Noah's Flood without the apostrophe S, just noahsflood.com, which interestingly, that website wasn't available for years and it just became available about a year ago. We nabbed it right when it did. And it'll be coming out uh, in six to 12 months is there is our timeline. And uh, it's going to take uh, a really good evidence-based look at Noah's flood. It's going to be interlaced with the gospel, saturated with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make the, the parallel between what, what Christ said. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be in the, 
the ending of the, the end days with the coming of the Son of Man. And so we, we take a cultural look at the impact of the flood and we take a historical look of it. And it's going to be the most photorealistic rendition of the flood ever put in the theaters. It's some of the imagery that we're putting together is just taking thousands of dollars and multiple years to construct and a, a bay of dozens of computers to do rendering on some of these scenes that will render for days for just minutes worth of footage. Yeah. So we're really excited about it. I get to see our first 37 minute preview of it sometime uh, this month, which is great. Uh, but Ralph Strand with Sevenfold Films is doing a great job and uh, we're excited for that to come out uh, this year. Oh man, I can't wait. It's going to be uh it's going to be exciting. Um, the gospel and and the creation story are so linked um, in terms of uh, uh, what God had to redeem, who he redeemed, how he redeemed, all of these things. Uh, and yet today in, in faith culture, we don't see that link being built uh, from up front in classes, in Sunday school. Um, why do you think that that has been unhitched? The creation story has been unhitched from the gospel itself. I, I would say ultimately it's a strategy driven by the dark forces that rule the world. And I'm not a conspiracy guy, but the Ephesians 6 talks about the rulers, the principalities, and the authorities of heavenly places. And so the enemy knows that he's got to take out the foundational relevance of Genesis. And this was even spoken about in the book of Corinthians, where Paul says look, the, the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks, but a stumbling block to the Jews. Mm -hmm. The Jews knew the Torah. They knew the creation account. They knew the need uh, for a redeemer. They knew sin. And they're like, well, how could just this one guy be a redeemer from all that history of Noah's flood and sin and the turmoil and the garden and all that stuff? So the creation account was a stumbling block to them. But to the, but to the Greeks, which is just like today's culture, it's foolishness. Yeah. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And well, it's foolishness because... To the Greeks, because they're like, well, why do I need a savior to save me from what? What sin? What garden are you talking about? What what mythical fairy tale are you bringing that stuff up from? They had no realization of the reality of Genesis being a true history account. And it's just like today, if the enemy can get people convinced that there's no God, no creator, no sin, no garden, no free will, no choice back in the beginning then what is the relevance for for Jesus in the first place? Yeah. And that's what's happening in today's world. And taking your ministry, and you mentioned several other uh, great ministries out there that are, are doing uh, foundational and pioneering work in the story and reconnecting us, the gospel, back to the story so that we understand Um what is something practical that you would say, let's let's address the moms and dads out there who are raising a 10-year-old, uh, The uh, what's something practical that they can do? They can say, hey, you know, I want to build this into the foundation of my kids' faith growing up so that they, they actually know their creator. Well, you know, I, I think there's two extremes, Leonard, and I think there's concerns with either extremes. Uh, with either of the, these extremes. One extreme would be homeschool your kid and don't teach them anything about evolution, which I think can be a big problem. Uh, I had a gal come up to me, homeschool gal, 18 years old, had graduated through high school, went homeschooled a whole way, and I gave a talk about the age of the earth, and it would focus a lot about radiometric dating. And she came up to me, and she was just shell-shocked after the talk, and she's like visibly shaken. And she says, Dr. Biddle, I just want to thank you because in 18 years, all I've heard is six real days of creation and 6,000 years and young earth and all that stuff. But I never until today understood why the other side was wrong. And so I want teens and particularly the homeschool folks to learn about evolution and, of course, a good homeschool environment and learn what's wrong with that because it's not easy to defeat and dismantle and debuckle the ideas of evolution. It's a very easily dismantable theory. So that's why they need to learn both sides. And then on the other extreme, you have the public school kids that are, are playing sports and doing social stuff, and they're Christian, they're part of their youth group and everything, and they've heard 
Well, in California, to graduate high school, you have to go through 250 pages of evolution teaching and 50 classroom hours of instruction. So they're thoroughly indoctrinated in the idea of evolution, but they're not getting the creation side. And honestly, if I had to go back and give strong advice to a family that's public schooled their whole way and their kids have been indoctrinated in evolution, I would just turn the train around and take a trip out to Answers in Genesis and go take a two-day journey to their Ark Encounter and to the Creation Museum mm. because they need to see it and feel it and touch it and meet other people and see the experts and just have them experience creation. They're not going to read a book and get fixed or watch some of our videos. Go down there to, to Kentucky, to AIG, and saturate in the creation truth. Um, so that would be how I would approach those two extremes. Mm. Yeah, we we actually live only a couple hours away from that. And that's on Marilys and I list. Hey, let's summer. We're driving out there and we're going to spend some time. Um, Definitely. It's a great, great place. Supportive. Yeah. yeah, we're excited about that. So, Dan, in the in the conversations that are taking place, um, you've given input to to the parent. Um, and I love both of those thoughts. Um, uh, I like the middle ground. What is what would you say? to the pastor and the church that's saying, uh, we we have so much to teach. How do we teach this? You know, I, I don't think that, um, and this is perhaps a bias that I have, I don't really think that creation can be taught effectively just by talking about it. I think it's such a visual thing, and people nowadays are conditioned to be so visual that I would say you really ought to start folding in some of our videos or other videos from creation mm -hmm. ministries that talk about the world being created or Noah's flood or whatever or biology and talk about hummingbirds and intelligent design and, and get into the visual aspects of it. So I would encourage, there's a lot of pastors that will play our videos during services. We've got a 22 minute video on Noah's flood, things like that. But I would say get visually st stimulated and start teaching from Genesis from an authoritative position as it being a real history account. And a lot of pastors nowadays, they're either punting on the issue or they're not teaching, either they're punting and not teaching on it, or they're teaching that there's four different flavors. You get to choose whichever one you, that you want. Mm -hmm. But in that absence, in that chasm of the pastors not teaching about it, the enemy is like, well, that's good. I'll run, run right into that void and I'll teach your students 250 pages of it before they graduate from high school. So they're graduating as little junior apologists for evolution. Yeah. And by the time they hear creation, they just think it's a little, uh, you know, a little fundamentalist mythical account that only some Christians believe. Leonard, I used to think that way 10 years ago. I, I had a pastor of my son in fifth and sixth grade that would talk about the six days of creation and young earth and all that stuff. And I would look at him and say, well, you know, that's fine, Pastor Mark, but I'm, I'm a PhD. I'm a behavioral scientist. I, I've learned a lot more than you. And I, you probably didn't have any natural science classes. You were go through college. So I understand that that's your cute little fundamentalist homeschool perspective. But my eyes have been opened to the age of the earth and old earth and all that stuff. And so, but man, did God have some irony in store for me? because now then he showed me the truth behind it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Well, now I believe that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I'm so glad you do uh, believe that because God, I think God uniquely wires people to, to, uh, to live on the fronts that they live. Uh, I, you know, I do what I do because I'm wired towards it. You do what you do because you're wired towards it. The way your brain thinks, the way you retain knowledge is so much different than other people. But at the same time, um, we don't, how do we avoid making the creation story um, something that only certain people can understand? Because, well, they're educated, so therefore they're armed with a piece of, of training or skill or knowledge. How can the, you know, the faith of a child says, well, that's what God did, so that's what I tell you he did. But somewhere yeah. along the way that's unraveled and we're convinced that science is smarter than the Bible. And therefore, you know, the, the, the most strategic way I think that you could address that, first of all, from a theological standpoint, I really do believe 
that it takes God to know God. And I think it takes the Holy Spirit to understand the truth of creation. Mm -hmm. I was a Christian. I was saved since I was age 11, but I was blinded to the truth of creation until mm -hmm. about 10 years ago. And so the Lord gave me the blessing of having to discover creation, discover when you take the cover off of something. So the Holy Spirit's got to be the one to, to do that. I have tons of Christian friends all around me that haven't yet been awakened to the truth of Genesis as a real history book. But from a, a practical standpoint, I think conversationally, the best way to address it is to start talking to people to have them understand the difference between historical science and observational science. Because a lot of people disbelieve in evolution because, quote, smart scientists believe in it. But they have to understand there's a difference between observational science where we have experiments and we observe and test and repeat and form hypotheses that are fi falsifiable. And that's how we put people on the moon and invent new medicine and do biology and research. That's done using observational science that follows a scientific method. That's real science. But evolution is based on historical science. You don't dig up a dinosaur fossil with a tag on it that says buried 65 million years ago. It requires an interpretive lens and it requires inference and abstraction to believe in the idea of evolution because no one's ever observed, repeated, or tested radiometric dating or biological evolution or vertical evolution or how do life come from non-life. So those are some of my tidbits. The other thing is to... To, to challenge someone's belief in evolution by just asking them one question, and it's this, how did non-living matter become alive? Mm. And they have to admit that they have just as much faith for believing that miracle of how somehow how non-living organi organic matter brought the, all the diversity of life today because it's non-repeatable and it takes faith, just as much faith, I would say more faith than a Christian has, because DNA is a language that requires information and structure and genes expressed for certain things. And so it, it, it shows them that their position is based on faith because the honest scientist will say, well, you know what? We tried the Miller-Urey experiments. We tried all these different experiments, but they have faith that rain falling on rocks three billion years ago made non-living matter become alive. And it's a faith. It's 100% faith. Right, so that's right. a practical way to uh, to to approach it. Hmm. I, I I feel like there is uh, um, the attack is strong, and um, you know Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, "You have need of confidence. Do not throw it away, because you have it has a great promise of reward." Um, hmm. You know, John writes again and again, uh, "I wrote these things so you would know, so that you would know that you would know." Um, mm. the hope of heaven is found in the perfect creation um, and that God is actually restoring what he started with. Uh, and now the dwelling of God will be with men. Uh, the, the creation story ties into so many places, uh, the reality of creation and the creator. And the erasure of our confidence is devastating to our ability to hold any moral line, to hold any ethical line, um, when it looks around the world. Because if if I'm created by God, I'm accountable to God. And he has a standard that, that forces me or calls me into a place of accountability that says, you've got a standard set for me to live. Yes. Um, and, you know, even, even Richard Dawkins was, was put on the spot about, you know, that very question about how did non-living matter become alive? And he finally capitulates, says, all right, well, maybe millions of years ago, some aliens seeded life <laughs> on Earth, you know, but but they atheists would rather be say that because they don't want to be held morally accountable to an eternal being. Yeah. So I right along the lines of what you're saying. Well, and you know, you referred to John, but John three says that men love darkness over light. Uh, because their deeds are evil. We'd rather live in the shadows. Um, and when first John, John says that uh, uh, darkness divides us, but light brings us fellowship. Um, mm. You know, and, yeah. and, and I just feel like where we are at in our culture today, uh, the enemy is working overtime to divide us. Um, and the division isn't over whether or not I believe in creation or not. 
the division is over how honest I will be with it. Wow. That's great. I, I, I mean, the Romans one says exactly what you're talking about, Leonard, that people know internally that there is a creator because of what he's created. Yeah. But they will willingly, they're going to be willingly ignorant. They're going to deny, they're going to teach against. And uh, it's, it's so true. Everyone, no one's, no one has an excuse. We all have to give an account to the, to the maker of Romans one says, if you deny that, then you're going to go through this road of depravity. And that's what we're seeing right now in our society. Boy, we are. And, you know, God says, I'm going to take my hands off and let you live in the fruit of that tree that you ate from in the very beginning. I'm going to just take my hands yeah. off and you'll, you'll reap what you sow. Um, and so in this, in this, in this amazing uh, journey that you've been on and that, you know, I, I grew up believing this. I never had a moment where I went, well, maybe, maybe I've just always went, well, it's true. And, um, and then my course of study has allowed me to read and research uh, and go, oh, well, here's evidences that, that more than just finding things that support what I already think, but here's evidences that support the story uh, and strengthen what I believe and what I think. And so I never had that journey where I said, oh, well, maybe there's this, you know, and I remember thinking when theistic evolution came into be, uh, into prominence as a conversation in the Christian faith, I was like, but that just doesn't seem like it's like we're trusting what God said. Yeah. You know, it's a slow fade and it starts with that. And you go through all all of history, Leonard, and these ideas, gap theory, framework theory, day age, progressive creation, they're all over the last couple hundred years. Yeah. And it all started when Charles Lyell said, I my goal is to free geology from Moses. Oh. And the and the addition of of millions of years is this explanatory force for everything else rather than God spontaneously creating everything, giving the credit to millions of years of, of natural processes and evolution. So yeah. it's a it's a glory stealer from the Lord Himself. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, and you've addressed this some, uh, but I'd love to hear in 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 your thinking. I miss the story of creation. What do I miss? If I miss this reality and this truth, what do I miss uh, with God, with people, with my world around me, with myself? Um, what goes missing in my life? You know, the, um, uh, there's a, uh, a well-known creationist, Pat Roy, uh, that's done uh, a lot of work in the creation field. And he has these homeschool workshops that he does with kids. And I'll never forget the story that he told me of a kid who was in fifth or sixth grade and he did this experiment with all the kids in this class where you put a strawberry into a, a ziploc bag and you add some chemicals and you're able to extract a strand of dna from the strawberry and he says this kid when he had done it was looking at this strand of a strawberry dna and he just welled up with emotion and he said god did that for me he made that strawberry for me and he gave me taste buds to experience it and a stomach to digest it and a body to turn it into energy and nutrients. And, and you'll never have that experience if you don't give God the glory as a creator. And it's yeah. because I mentioned we're, de we're debunking that leading video called signs of evolution in, in your body. And one of the things that evolutionists are arguing in this video is that our tailbones technically called our coccyx, are, is redundant or vestigial, leftover from evolution. But medical science has established nine different purposes for that tailbone. As I'm, and as I'm studying and I'm thinking about my own body, I'm like, thank God for that little three-inch tailbone. <laughs> because of all the functions it has for me and my wife, I'm like, this is amazing. So because I'm a creationist and I believe that God breathed that body plan into existence recently, 6,000 years ago with the plan, and we didn't assemble ourselves over millions of years of vertical evolution, I'm able to have an emotional experience and a worship experience where I turn to my Heavenly Father and say, thank you for that three-inch tailbone. And Leonard, I'm sincere. Yeah. I really have enthusiasm about being able to glorify my Creator who ingeniously thought to tag my spinal column with that, with that end of a three-inch 
little tailbone and all the muscles and ligaments and nerves that connect to it because it has purpose and intention. And I'm a whole complete person in many ways because of that, that little, uh, that little part of my body. So I get to give glory to my creator because I give them the credit and it puts God on the throne and not me on the throne. Mm -hmm. And that has the whole, you know, domino effect of the choices and consequences of my life with me putting God at the beginning and not me at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. I, I, if I summed up what you just said and, and put it in my own words, um, the creation story allows me to be grateful to the right person. Mm. Uh, I'm yeah. able to simply go, wow, I can be grateful to God, not some mystic thing, not some happenstance, but I can actually go, my creator did personal care. Uh, you know, when I'm traveling, I talk to pastors. I say, uh, this morning, we all eat breakfast together. So this morning, we had flour, we had, uh, you know, some corn, or we had a piece of a fruit. And I said, let's just pause for a second. And thank God that 6,000 years ago, he put something in motion that I could eat today because creation says not that God was thinking uh, just of Adam and Eve, but God was thinking of me. Mm, yes. Wow. That, that That is deep. And all through the chain from the garden all the way to today, you know, and, and before sin, we were gardeners, but after the sin, we turned into farmers. Yeah. And but we're still cultivating the same original kinds of those plants with change yeah. and variation that he started in the garden today. And you're right. He had us in mind when he's creating fruits and vegetables. It's like I'm making that because your body's got the key with your digestive juices to break it down and break it apart. And those minerals and nutrients and the enzymes, it all works together. Creation with with uh, with the body. It's incredible. It is absolutely stunning, um, Dan. As we uh, as we start to bring this around to a, to a home base, um, I want to make sure I say thank you to you for taking time out of your day and out of your schedule. I know you, uh, I know you always have something to do, and so I really appreciate uh, you pausing for an hour uh, and to to spend time. But is there something else that you would want to say uh, to the listener? Maybe the one out there going. Um, it just feels like it's a lot of work to become as knowledgeable as I need to be. And I don't have time to even do devotions, uh, much less do all the heavy lifting of becoming well-versed in creation. How would you encourage that person to uh, to inspire them and to motivate them to a greater movement towards this, this amazing truth, this foundational truth? Yes, I, I would say uh, start with our Noah's Flood movie because it may perk interest and might spark some interest that's not currently there. Um, it's a 22-minute. It's called uh, Noah's Flood and Pangea. Uh, it, or you can watch Noah's Flood in North America. Either one of those two videos are on our YouTube channel, which is just Genesis Apologetics. And see if that 22-minute doesn't spark your interest in the same way that it did mine. It's, it has almost 3 million views on, on YouTube, so plenty of people have found it interesting and compelling And uh, because it really can spur you on to that next level to think, my gosh, maybe it's all true. And the second thing I would say is, is pray, because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Bible has the story of creation woven through the tapestry of most of the 66 books of Scripture, and that's for a reason. And in fact, I just ordered the, the Legacy Study Bible from John MacArthur's group. And when it comes in tomorrow, I'm going to grab my highlighter and I'm going to start at Genesis and go through the whole thing and highlight all the passages that talk about creation. Yeah. And I'm finding all kinds of new things. I didn't even know this before, but God even mentions Noah's flood along with the mountains and everything and Isaiah and Psalms is full of it. Oh, yeah. So if it's on God's heart, it can certainly be on our heart and it's yeah. full of, of it in his word. You know, there's over 230 references to either God as a creator or the creation story from Genesis to Revelation. 
I had no idea. That's amazing. It wow. is. It is not a story told in the beginning. It's a story that launches our beginning. Um, wow. You know, letter. There's one thing that just hit me in the book of Acts. I just found this little nugget recently, and I found three others like it in the um, in the, in the New Testament. I think two of them were in the book of Revelations. But when the apostles got freed from jail in the book of Acts. Do you know what they did? They ran around exclaiming the fourth commandment. We praise the Lord, the creator of heaven, earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Yep, I'm like, yep. what? They're running around saying the six-day mantra yeah. after they get set free from jail. That's their exclamation of prayer. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. So oh, if it was on that's... their part, you know, it should be on ours too. That's uh, so God, good. God gets the credit. Yeah. You know, when Paul's in uh, in the Acropolis in X in Athens in Acts 17, he 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 points back to this creator uh, who sets boundaries, uh, who says this is where you're gonna be born, this is where you're gonna live, uh, who divides up the and partitions literally the earth, uh, and his intention is that we would know him. Uh, this my my best chance of knowing God had had to do with me being born in Roseville, California. Uh, wow. And wow. there is a, a redemptive story to our understand a redemptive nature to understanding the creation story that God made us in such a way so that we could truly know who he is. Um, and and I just don't want to see that erased from our culture uh, or from our truth. And so um dan as we uh move forward when the when your movie comes out i really really want to have you come back and talk about it um i'm going to put some links in my next letter just to uh to uh drive people back to this understanding so much of what we do when we teach biblical foundations ties into the idea that you cannot know god apart from knowing him as a creator it is his literal first introduction and god i make and yes uh, and so I so admire and appreciate uh, you doing so much heavy lifting so I don't have to, uh, because I'm going to do it somewhere else. Uh, I'm not afraid to do the heavy lifting, but I'm going to do it somewhere else so that someone else doesn't have to. Uh, and, Great. And so that that synergy, that, that connection and that partnership, uh, I value it greatly. And I just want to say thank you uh, for your time uh, and for the way God made you. I'm so grateful. And for your hard work to uh, to put this stuff together in a knowable way for us. Uh, Thank you, Leonard. It is the body of Christ working together. You know, it 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 really is. We've got to run run our lane and everything. And I get passionate and jump out of bed in the morning about some things that would excite none of ninety nine percent of people. You know, some things get me going that wouldn't get other people excited. I'm sure it's the same way with around the body of Christ with, with, with different areas. And it's just, God gives us an anointing and passion for the certain things that we're supposed to be doing in the body. And, yeah. but we're all, yeah. we're all supposed to play our parts. You know, uh, I had a, uh, a friend of mine who was a, uh, had, I think 12 black belts and 12 different martial arts, the most amazing martial artist guys I've ever, ever known. I invited him into my backyard and Gave him a spear to throw and said, oh, my gosh, he's going to throw this spear right through the backstop, through an inch of wood. This guy's going to be a mighty warrior. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't throw the spear. It could only go like 15 feet. And I says, well, well, Kai, what, what's what's wrong? And he says, well, I broke my toe. And just because he had a little tiny broken little toe, he couldn't transfer the power from holding a spear with his arm and his mighty arm and his core strength and his hip strength, it couldn't translate because he couldn't bend his toe. Mm. So a lot of people view creation ministry as, oh, controversial, not essential, whatever. Well, don't do that. It's it's maybe we're a toe, but we're important, you know? And it, yeah, it's controversial, but work through these things and, and give your congregation what they need on the book of Genesis. Because if the truth doesn't start on page one, millennials today want to know how many more pages do i have to flip until i run into truth yeah and page start truth starts on page one it does it does uh, i encourage people to not speak to convince you it's true uh, but to speak because it is true um, mm. and then people become convinced 
I, if I, if I don't believe it and I, you know, if I can't speak because it's true, uh, then I can't convince you it's true. Um, that's the gospel contains its own power. It's the power of God. Uh, I don't yeah. say it to convince you. Uh, I say it because it's true. And God does something supernatural as we hear the the reality of creation, as we hear the story, as we hear the gospel. So um, with that being said, Dan, I just want to say thanks again. I so appreciate you. Uh, and I uh, look forward to a time when uh, we'll find ourselves in the same place, uh, tag teaming and some teaching and and uh, you uh, bolstering the confidence of uh, of the believers that we serve uh, in um, in such a great way, uh, and so I really look forward to that. That sounds great, Leonard. Thanks again for having me on your show for all that you do, and let's do it again in a few months before that movie comes out. Absolutely, we'll do. I look forward to that. All right, brother, say hi to okay. your wife for me. God bless. We'll do. Thanks, right. Leonard. You bet. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye.